Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us, interviews and stories, tales from the bus, we love taking you back to when it all went down, the greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hi, this is Galen and Pete from the West Coast Wolves. You are listening to Concerts That Made Us. I see you creeping down the stairs one toe at a time. I like your ankles, like your knees, girl. How do you do? It's cold and dark outside But up ahead there's fire You're very welcome to concerts that made us. Hey, how's it? Yeah, uh, Pete from the West Coast Wolves, and this is my companion, Galen from the West Coast Wolves. It's great to have you guys now, but I have a very important question for you before we kick it off. First off, are you surfers that play music or are you musicians that surf? <laughs> um, well, I was definitely a surfer that's played music. Uh, I, I actually surfed kind of professionally for two years uh, during and after school. Um, and then I started playing music and I was very bad at it. But, you know, fortune favors the brave and the ignorant. And I thought if I could be so good at surfing, I could be as good at playing guitar and playing in a band. So I kind of just left the surfing by the wayside because I wasn't going to be like in the top guys there. And I love music so much that I just started a band and I thought, you know, if I try hard enough, I'll get good enough. Anyway, it turns out uh, I was much better at surfing than I played in a band. <laughs> so now I'm more playing in a band than I am at surfing, but uh, I, I haven't quit my day job, which is in neither of those two professions. <laughs> right, right. And uh, Pete, what about you? Are you much of a surfer? Uh, I uh, I used to bodyboard, and then I started surfing when I went on my first date with my uh, wife-to-be. I didn't want to rock up with a bodyboard, so I took a surfboard. <laughs> uh, she had a surfboard. 
but uh, I've been playing guitar already before that. So I, uh, you know, we I think one thing both Gaelic and I have in common is that we love music. Uh, and surfing is, you know, surfing is an amazing sport, but it doesn't it doesn't quite um, it's not quite the same as as riding an amazing banjo deck or something like that. Yeah, for me. True. True. Now you guys released. Burn it on the 7th of July, a collection of songs off your upcoming album. What can you tell us about it? Uh, burn it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite different from our other songs. Um, it doesn't actually have banjo in it, does it? Eh? It does have a lot oh, of it's got, uh, What does it? Yeah, yeah. In the verses <laughs> and the chorus. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't listen that well. But um, yeah, it's but it's got this... Yeah, so... so I mean, we always start with that kind of some kind of songwriting process. And I think that one, we came up with this kind of weird, uh, like, I'm, I think I made up some weird guitar from like my fuzz pedal. And then our bassist Migs um, made up like a slap bass to it, which we thought was just like so out of the ordinary. And then Pete found this uh, acoustic guitar rhythm that was almost like, it was quite actually an African sound, like, I, mean, we, I can we can we can uh, hear that it's got an African influence to it, which um, we don't like. We don't try and make these things. We kind of have a um, anything goes attitude in the in the in the band practice room, and we come from such diverse backgrounds that we just um, you know let anything go. And um, yeah, and then like the chorus kind of just wrote itself, and we had this. So we had this kind of weird Michael Jackson part with this African verse and then like an, a, a punk chorus, which and that's like that kind of sums up West Coast Wolves to a T. It like if you jumbo a whole bunch of sounds together, a little bit of ska, a bit of reggae, lots of banjo, some heavy guitars every now and then. Uh we've we've got we think quite a killer rhythm section, don't tell them. Um <laughs> <laughs> you guys to get even bigger, yeah. Yeah. And and, and the song's actually about um like fighting with a, with a person in a relationship. Like one minute you absolutely love them and the next minute you you hate them. You know, you just want to like burn it down, like stuff that I hate it all. Like, <laughs> and then five minutes later you're like, oh, okay, no, you know, everything's fine. And um, and it was like, I don't really like, I don't think I've ever written a song about love, so it's not really about love, but it's more about that interaction where you just like, everything's fine and then everything sucks. And then everything's fine and then everything sucks. Yeah, and then we we should we we had a we had a in our previous like kind of lineup we had the we had a we had a female vocalist with us, uh, and we had the drummer, and they started dating, and they like they kind of did this to the band. It was like in and then out, and then in and then out. So, but <laughs> don't tell them. Hopefully, they don't watch this. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, they won't, they won't take offense. Right, right. Doesn't sound complicated at all. <laughs> And, you know, what can you tell us about the upcoming album then? Where's the inspiration come from? What can we expect? Should I go? Mm, yeah, you're on a roll. That okay. last answer was so good. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think, it, you know, we the, the West Coast Wolves have actually been a, uh, around for a long time. And the, the band members have all been playing music, uh, not all together, but in other bands for a long time. And I think... In the last five years, including COVID, which wasn't very productive from a songwriting perspective, but it was very good for us because um, we, Pete and I, recorded quite a lot of stuff during that time on the vocals. And it was the last five years, you know, the band went, as I, uh, I um, alluded to in the previous answer, had a lot of member changes for a while, not because they didn't like us or didn't like the music. It's just sometimes one guy moved to China um, yeah, he's actually playing in a very good band there. He played in Inner Mongolia the other day. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and and yeah, we just had changes. One of the founders of the band got, he couldn't play loud music anymore. The tinnitus. Tinnitus, yeah. So like just strange things like that. And, and then eventually we got a team together, which were like super core. And like we were all um, very committed to the cause. And um, we... We spent three years putting together all our influences. Um, you know, I'm a big, I, I like really heavy music. And I also like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young uh, and really mellow music, Tom Petty and stuff like that, like folk music, good songwriting. I believe any good song can be um, can be played almost in any format. If it's a good song, it will it'll live through any format. 
so that's where we start. Pete and I really try and write nice songs, mostly on the acoustic, a uh, couple of nice riffs. And then we happen to get a really good uh, rhythm section going with Megs and Lawrence and Jem uh, on the on the percussion. And then they bring like the they bring like the the groove in, and and that really worked. And we probably had about fifteen songs, and we whittled it down to eleven. And then COVID hit, and we had luckily recorded all the uh, instruments, most of the instruments. And then Pete and I were lucky enough to spend like a year and a half messing around on vocals when we were allowed to go to the studio. And yeah, that's how it came together. So it's a lot of influences, <clears throat> quite a bit of time, and uh, five people that really get really get along, which is cool. Right, right. And, you know, when it comes to recording them, what was it like trying to find the right producer, you know, get the right setup? Yeah, the, the, the struggle continues. Huh? The struggle continues. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's been, I and mean, we, we we worked with people that we know, um, which is you know a good place to start. Um, but you know, there's a lot of room for improvement always, and and we've just started working on our next record, and we've got a lot of ideas about how, things that we'd like to do the same, but things that we'd like to do differently, and try out different sounds and vintage gear and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's yeah. I mean, we've learned a lot about recording. We've recorded in a few places now, and it's something that you you keep learning. You never you don't think no one ever knows it all unless you unless you're working with Rick Rubin. You might know it all. You know? <laughs> Um, but don't forget to how is uh, apart. The other thing that happened at the, about that time was that I started playing banjo, and that also changed our sound quite a bit. So this is the yeah, first yeah. first record that we recorded on with the banjo, and it meant that I stepped away from the guitar quite a bit, which I think opened up the sound a little bit because the banjo is at a different frequency altogether. Um, and um, the name don't forget to hard like it kind of came about. It's a line in one of the songs on the album. But it, it kind of for me, it's, it means different things to different people. But for me, it you know, COVID was COVID was such a difficult time, and we we kind of had to come up with a name in that time. And it was definitely had an influence on its interpretation for me, and also because like uh, you know we're now you know almost we're in our forties. You know, don't forget to house. So you, Early forties. You, <laughs> you, uh, you have that feeling of of youth. You know, like uh, and yeah. Right, right. And, you know, I'm always intrigued by how people find their style, find their voice. You know, what makes a guy decide he's going to join a metal band and become a sort of screamer? So where did you guys find your style? How did it evolve into what it is today? It's, uh, yeah, it's it really is um, sort of completely different influences. Um, like, as I said, I like heavier stuff as, long, as, as well as like songwriting stuff. Pete likes and Pete and Migs and Lawrence like a lot more um especially Migs and the bass player and Pete they're like quite a lot of reggae and ska Lawrence the drummer actually plays in like a speed metal band and a ska band and our band so he really he really and yeah, I mean the ska band that they play for actually plays kind of like quite quite a bit of like pop influence stuff now so he really is across the board and um yeah, and it's it's literally like put those things in the in the in the pot and stir it for a while, and um, put a lot of hours into it and a couple of beers and see what see what comes out. Eh? Mm, yeah, I mean, I I would say that we okay, I played and Gaden also did played in a punk rock band for many years, like yeah, yeah, fifteen years before starting the Wolves. Um, and we were I wanted to do something a bit more folk, a bit more acoustic, um, but still have some of the heavier elements. So it kind of it kind of it was a natural progression, but I I was very close-minded. I used to only listen to punk rock and ska. And since then, I've broadened my horizons significantly, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what he listens to these days. <laughs> right, right. All been influenced by our daughters, who are, like, quite young. <laughs> oh, God, don't say Taylor <laughs> Swift or something. No, no, we actually haven't, not, not Taylor Swift yet, but it, no, it's quite interesting, because, like, my daughters will listen to, like, my, like they listen to a lot of Katy Perry. And I can appreciate that. Like, I think the songwriting is brilliant. Like, and like the little intricacies that they put in the recording, you listen to that stuff with your headphones. There's like so many different things going on. It's like so well produced. Like I wouldn't buy the CD. <laughs> well, I wouldn't tell anybody to buy a CD. Yeah, but yeah, those, those, um, but those big pop albums, I mean, those aren't, they're, they're not, they're not, they're very well produced. Like there's things you can learn from them. Like, like the, um, Quite interesting. I'm just a bit off the topic, but the guy that produced our vocals, Graham, like I used to, we used to fight, or I used to fight with him a lot. But 
he 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 was the drummer for um Tom Jones. He was like the kid prodigy. He was like 17 years old and he's the drum for Tom Jones. So he has like a he has like a, a little bit of an ear for putting a bit of a pop element into it. And um he'd come up with like just these crazy things. Okay, and I sing this and then sing this and then sing this, and then I'd fight with him like 50% of the time. And then at the end, I'd drive home with Pete and go like. I actually think he's right about it. <laughs> yeah, so, so Graham, if you listen to this, kudos, man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll dive into your early influences. So now this is a bit of a tricky one. If you can, can you remember your very earliest musical memory? Yeah, I, 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 I can't remember if it's my, my very, very first one, but I can remember my most my most important musical memory from when I was a kid. I my, and um, my dad took me surfing and I was we, we lived, I lived in this place called George and it was about two and a half hours away from Jeffrey's Bay, which is a famous surf place. And we drove and he woke me up at like four in the morning and we went, we drove like two and a half, three hours to Jeffrey's Bay. And as the sun was coming up, he put on um, uh, a song from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young called... Um, um helplessly hoping and it's just like and i remember like the sun coming up like i've got like a frog in my throat thinking about it like sun coming up like just waves coming like going down the point and i'm just going like and it was just like this overwhelming thing that will just sit with me for my entire life like every single time i hear that song i'm like this is what it's about you know combining an emotion with a song with a with an experience it's just i mean if you there's probably a handful of those and more hopefully more but maybe there's like two handfuls of times in your life that you can remember things like that and it's just they make it and you never forget them yeah it's almost like a scene of a movie yeah totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. pete you have some uh some tough competition now <laughs> I, don't I don't think mine is as dramatic as that but uh i mean i remember um very i remember clearly listening to my mom's beatles records but uh, I was never particularly blown away by anything until I heard punk rock for the first time. And that was like the first time I found like a genre that I could connect with. Uh, and for me, it was also, strangely enough, going surfing and listening to cassette tapes in the car on the tape deck, uh, listening to like the, the early days of the Offspring uh, and Green Day and those kind of bands. That, that for me was point of real connection with the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, growing up then, what was your local music scene like? Was there lots of gigs to go to? And how does it compare to today? Jeez, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, they were, uh, until, I, until I had about 18, there weren't any gigs to go to. There were no all-ages gigs. So I didn't watch a live band until I was, like, almost 18, I think. Um, and and strangely enough, the South African, in South Africa, there was a little punk rock scene that started in the probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Uh, and I had quite a, quite a decent following. And when I say decent, I mean like maybe maybe 2,000 people in the whole city in Cape Town. Um, on a good day. On a good day. Uh, but it was healthy, you know. It was, it was, it was, it was um, creative and inspiring. And, you know, there was like-minded people. It was, it was quite something. Uh, today, it's a lot more diverse, uh, but still the, the market for live well, this kind of like Western guitar oriented rock and roll kind of stuff is very small in South Africa. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's not like it's very difficult for a band to become uh, like quite well known here. Um, yeah, nothing more to add. I, I, I mean, when I started my first band, I was uh, 18 or 19. So that was like in 1999. Uh, and we, we played a couple of gigs at like surf contests and stuff because I used to surf back then and all the guys in my band used to surf. And and then, um, I don't know, we played like 10 shows or something like that. And then somebody, actually Marcus, uh, the bassist in Pete's other band, uh, said, you guys sound like a punk band. You should come, come play at a punk rock show. <laughs> we rocked up this place called the Purple Turtle and we heard, which is like the center of the city, which was like such a big venue, like compared to like what we'd been playing at. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was absolutely blown away. Like somebody was doing the sound. I wasn't doing the sound myself and I didn't know anything about sound. And uh, yeah, prior to that, I was just like, the first gig, I had like a broomstick with a bucket with some duct tape 
for the mic stand. And I just thought, like, you know, all these all these guys have got a desk. So I went to like the local sound place and I and I hired a desk and had, and had about 48 channels on it. And there was only like four mics that needed to go in. <laughs> I was working on how to push this thing, like pushing a whole bunch of buttons. Yeah. And anyway, we made something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, I thought of something there I'd love to ask you guys. Maybe you can't answer, but something I've noticed from talking to so many South African bands is they all say the scene is relatively small. Why do you think it's not more popular? Well, there's not many rock uh, listeners in South Africa, eh? <laughs> Just one of those things. It's, uh, you know, the country's, uh, it's more hip-hop and what they call Kwato and R&B. It's just one of those things. Right, right, and and also, and, and, and sorry, like the all the rock in South Africa needs to compete with all the rock around the world. Um, you know, we, we the, people don't go like, ah, oh, they're South African because they're special, and we're going to listen to them instead. Like we're compared to like anybody else in America or the UK or wherever, or you know, that can make the same kind of music as us, and so we have to compete against them. Um, you know, if you can sit there and get drunk on a Friday night and listen to your favorite tune from America. You're not going to go watch West Coast Bulls down the road if you don't really like the music kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's competition. The competition is global these days, you know. It's good and it's bad. Like, um, yeah, I mean, we might touch on it later, but we've got more listeners in South America than we do in South Africa. On Spotify, anyway. On but, Spotify, yeah. But, um, I mean, I think it's not institutionalized like it is in the States and in Europe, mm. you know. Like, there aren't, like, venues all over the place that are playing rock music there is not um there aren't there's no shows for all age shows for kids they don't get into it at a young age and it's kind of it's much more of a dance kind of quite a listenership as a result i think yeah mm. interesting interesting and you know as a concert goer then what concerts would you say have made you guys um geez I mean, yeah. I mean, there's been, there have been, despite you know the the small scene, there have there are some amazing bands. Um, one of my one of my biggest influences from when I was younger was a band called Hog Hoggity Hog. I used to go to their concerts all the time. Yeah, um, and they were a huge part of the the punk rock scene in the in the nineties and two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's other. There are also other other great bands. Um, um, maybe you can come in while I'm thinking about it. Yeah, for me. Like, you know, in, in early days, like I'm talking like 2005 and before that, when I mean, there weren't really big bands that toured yet, like Brian Adams toured yeah. I think I saw him, I think I saw Celine Dion. Like you could kind of, you went to like every single live concert you could get your hands on. Um, but, you know, that said, like the Hogs, Hog Hoggy Hog, which Pete mentioned, like they really solidified the scene from... 1997 to like what 2007 2012 2012. and you know they were just the stalwart of cape town where we live um punk scar scene i mean they were absolutely brilliant i remember like standing in the back of the crowd i think i was like i don't know in 2012 i was 32 thinking i'm too old to like get involved in this pit and like one and a half songs in i was like stage diving and going like as crazy as i could and and uh, yeah, it was epic. Like, uh, and at that at that stage, we also had a lot of nice venues. COVID really uh, dinged the venues quite a bit. Um, yeah, so I think from a local standpoint, for me, the Hogs was just you know they were just always there. They were brilliant. Fuzzy Gish in Johannesburg, also like the Hogs of Cape Town, like always there, brilliant shows. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I've got two international acts which absolutely blew me away. But maybe you want to. Um, yeah, I mean, the international ones, yeah, I mean, jeez, I've been, I went all the way to London to watch some bands a few years ago before COVID, and that was amazing. Uh, but nothing, I mean, some amazing bands out there, but nothing, nothing, nothing really noteworthy to mention now. Mm. You're not going to believe this. My, my top, um, concert I've ever been to was Rammstein. Really? Uh, yeah, I didn't know that I absolutely love, love Rammstein. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and um uh yeah, so I, I could I missed the for some reason I missed them in Cape Town and I flew up to Johannesburg to go see them and I stayed in an Airbnb with my friend, just one friend of mine, and went to this concert and I was 
I was just absolutely blown away. They had this cauldron on stage with the, I mean, I'm not into like theatrics, but I also, cause I like the music as well. And like the flame was coming out of the guy's head and like put the cauldron alive. Then he put the keyboardist in the cauldron. I mean, like it was just <laughs> insane. Like, and I didn't even have front row tickets and it felt like my, my um, eyebrows are going to like go on fire. <laughs> like, yo, that was amazing. Uh-huh. That that would be very hard to top now. Sounds like <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> and uh we'll dive into your own gigs then. For any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Give them the full experience if you can. <laughs> hmm. Um they can expect uh one of the nice things about our set is that it starts off really, really, really soft and slow. Uh, and by the end of it, it's like a it's like a roaring party. It's like yeah. it's it's uh, the the building up of the set that we've the way we've structured it is is quite something. So most of the time, people are like sitting down at the beginning of the show, and then by the end of the show, there's like a bit of a ride going on, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. We've got a we've got an our, as Gator mentioned earlier, we've got our rhythm section is just incredible. Like they are like on the metronome, and the sound is huge. Um, yeah, and then throw in like some left field percussion uh, and some, some banjo stuff and a whole bunch of different genres. And you start to get an idea. (laughs) And um, you know, you guys have a lot of buzz around you. How do you go about uh, creating such a buzz? You know, what do you credit your success with? Uh, um, (laughs) um, I mean, I think we've got the right formula uh, at the moment um, in terms of, the members in the band and it's nice and stable. Um, the band can often take years to get the right people and we've got the right people. Uh, and the other thing we've done, I think quite well, um, is market ourselves over the last, last three years or so. Um, and I think we've found kind of an identity for the band that we've been able to market, which is like the real representation of, of who we are and, and the kind of music we're making. So I think, if you manage to get a, if you manage to kind of find that brand identity, which is an authentic identity, and then market yeah. it well, I think that's been part of it, yeah, a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. Like, um, we work, we work very hard at trying to capture like quite interesting moments, which the band does actually do. Like, we quite all dig going up the coast um, and writing songs around. I mean, it sounds it sounds like we we're staging it, but it's not actually the case. Um, like trying to capture moments where we're sitting around a fire, um, you know, trying to make up a new song or test the riff or just having a good time. And I think it is it, it's very difficult, but if you can capture those moments, um, and I, I think it's uh, it's it's if and you can portray it well on social media or whatever i think it is and it's you know it's quite real when you put it out there i think it is very important and uh people relate to that we try we try very hard to make sure that everything we do is very real and um yeah there's nothing there's nothing staged about the world i can tell you that (laughs) good to hear good to hear and you know out of all the gigs you've played is there one that sticks in your mind as maybe the best or you know, the best experience you've had? I don't want to answer that one. We've been mm. playing a lot of gigs. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Hmm. Tough one. Yeah, we've played, uh, out of all, I think, the yeah, out of the most recent bunch of gigs, I think that the one that um, Scarborough was a really cool one. The one yeah, that, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. The one at a place called Camel Rock. Um, mm. with Full House and uh, you know, we love actually playing shows with like family events where people can bring their kids and it's like an open kind of thing like that. Um, and this was one of those. Um, and it's at a big restaurant, which is after the show, the place got shut down because of the noise levels. Uh, so unfortunately, bears can't play there anymore. Mm. But um, but that was an amazing one. And we also got it like we film all our gigs as well. So we've got all these memories, um, which is quite amazing. Um yeah, that was, and then the Boss Boogie last year was quite cool. This festival we played yeah. in Pretoria. We're playing there again uh, in September, actually, which is quite nice. And that's like just a whole bunch of Afrikaans, like, festival goes. Yeah, that, that was that was quite fun. It's nice, always nice to play to an audience that don't know you, in fact, because you get a real, 
you get a real you, get, you can really see how people react you know that's a real mm. reaction yeah we're also in quite a special quite a special festival um was uh we we put on we actually cre- we had, well cre- we created the festival up the west coast and this guy's got this big quarry uh you know where they mine they mine out of so it's got this big this big wall um where they had mined out in the front and um we invited a whole bunch of people and people you know some people paid <laughs> and yeah we staged like a two-day festival uh for the release of one of our songs or something like Factor that bones, yeah. Factor of bones the first song and um yeah it was it was really cool we were meant to do it again but uh something happened we'll do it again at some point because the the, fest, the the property owners are very stoked and want us to do it again it's a bit organizing a festival is uh Hard work. Uh, is quite difficult but uh yeah so that, that was from an aesthetic point of view it was really really nice um we should do it again uh, i think the the um the ones in the in the caravan park, uh, ten days and ten nights. Those oh, are okay, yeah, we, we, yeah, we've we've done a few shows up the west coast, and and we did one with the, the show at this place called Elans Bay, which is where, incidentally, where I started playing the banjo uh, for the first time in one of our songs. Um, you can actually there's a whole documentary if anyone's interested uh, called Deep Blue Middle Sea that was made about the experience. Um, our friend is a very talented filmmaker, Brian Little, and his company Fly on the Walls captured the whole thing. Uh, it's an amazing documentary. It's uh, it's won awards and stuff. Uh, Deep Blue Middle Sea on Vimeo, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was like a free show. Like the whole community came out. Um, it was big. It was probably like five hundred people. Well, for us, uh, which is also very interracial and mixed, um, which is important in South Africa. Uh, and yeah, that was it's just we were right on the beach. You know, it's the venue stage was built in the sand, pretty much. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. So we. You want to hear the story because it was yeah, uh, I, mean, this, this, I mean this is pretty much what made us if you think about it because you started playing the banjo the, yeah yeah it was a big turning point yeah so what happened was is that uh we had started recording Brian is a very good friend of ours and so we kind of thought okay well let's shoot a music music video at Irlands Bay okay which is a surfing place up the west coast and then Brian was like yes but you know we've always wanted to do as a group of friends do 10 days and 10 nights in the dust bowl which is a campsite at Irlands bay so we decided to shoot he decided to shoot a documentary over 10 days and 10 nights and we would shoot a music video and then halfway through that we realized that we didn't actually have the song for the music video so we we wrote the song and recorded like the portions of the song in the campsite and he learned how to play the banjo like right there and then and then we in, and then we went back and like reconstructed the song and then he came back and recreated the music video and then with that, the, the documentary and at the end of 10 days and 10 nights we held this festival for like a free festival for the entire city kind of thing which is a town it's like 500 people and that's it so that was i think that was like almost the best best genesis of the bulls kind yeah, of yeah it was it was it, that kind of got the momentum going and then yeah. that's when the other members joined the band it all happened pretty much snowballed after that yeah you drew it out of us brian you're <laughs> <laughs> out of us good interviewer <laughs> that sounds pretty epic i know what i'll be watching tonight anyway yeah deep blue middle deep c blue middle c with yeah. a c with a, just a capital letter c deep blue middle c with the letter cool cool and to flip it around now not to get too negative and without mentioning names is there a gig you would say was the worst experience you've had and how did you deal with it <laughs> Yeah, we've got a lot of worse gig experiences. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I had a gig the other night and I was very grumpy because I when I have to do the sound, I get very irritated and everybody expects that I can do the sound because I want some fun of time 20 years ago to go to the sound engineering diploma. <laughs> I get so irritated when they think I can do the sound. I normally just get too drunk, can't play. Anyway. Worst case, I mean, it actually didn't end up that bad. I actually had a good time, but like a worst, worst gig. I, I can't, I, we haven't had a, I can't remember a terrible gig for a long time, like a terrible one. I can remember some with my old man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Once the drummer got too drunk and he played, he played the drums, he turned around and played the drumsticks on the, on the bouncer's head and then took a first halfway through the show. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. It was like the second day. It was a bad show. It was the second day of a 10-day tour. And like, <laughs> that was a disaster. And I lost my voice for the in the second show. I had no voice for the rest of the trip. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, might God. just take the uh, take the biscuit as the worst. So 
No, no, I've got I've got a worse one. It wasn't in it wasn't in half it wasn't in the wolves in my other my punk rock band half price, but we played in Soweto once. There was no sound guy there either, by the way. Uh and like the electricity Soweto's story. Soweto's in a township like uh like a like, uh outside of in outside of Johannesburg. Uh and like the electricity cable was coming from like someone's like it came over the wall. We no one saw where it was plugged in, you know. <laughs> anyway, I got electrocuted by the by the microphone and I was holding the I wasn't wearing any shoes and I was holding the microphone and my guitar and like the microphone like got stuck. I clenched it in my fingers. Yeah, no, I almost died. Like it was, that was about a bad gig. I didn't even play the gig after that. Anyway, <laughs> a bad gig experience. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> that takes the cake. That takes the cake. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Jesus. Were you like seriously injured? Did you have to go hospital after it or? No, I, I, funny enough, my wedding ring, like it broke, like off, I think it was, I wasn't sure if it was the current going through me, but uh, it was pretty hardcore. Like I, I could just, I just could only sit there and, and someone gave me a beer and I drank that and I felt better afterwards. But it's, <laughs> but you know, fine for you. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I didn't have to go to hospital, but it was a, it was a close call. Yeah. I could have probably been like fried to death. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, and, uh, you know, when it comes to your career, then how do you measure success? Oh, uh, oh no, well, we've got a target. Yeah, actually, go to the same thing. We've got a target. I don't have any tattoos. No, I think the rest of the band have some tattoos. Actually, Jim doesn't have any. Uh, so a while back, I said, if we get to a million streams, I'll get a tattoo. Right. Uh, so now we're on uh, about 140,000 right now. So only another another 860 to go. Yeah. Right. And that's just on, we haven't we have that's just on Spotify. If you add up the other platforms, nothing <laughs> closer to the one million mark. Yeah. <laughs> have you picked a tattoo? I haven't. No. And luckily they haven't. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna. Ah. <laughs> I don't want. To. Uh, but we would. We would love to go and tour, like tour Europe or the US. Like that would be uh, a pretty good thing to happen. Yeah, so we're hopeful of that. Yeah, I, yeah. I think to place. I think our music does really well live, and I think if we had to play some nice festivals, like some big festivals, ones that make me shake, then uh, <laughs> uh, then that, I mean that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you guys would be perfect for all them like European summer festivals. You know, <laughs> just that summer vibe. Tell them, Brian. Tell them. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> and you know, what are some things apart from tattoos and million streams? What are some things left on your bucket list that you'd like to achieve with the band? I would like uh, to write another good album. I classify the last one as like probably my best work. Uh, my my previous band had like we had about six albums, and. Um, but I normally just made them and then just gave a few to my friends and family. And then that was about it. Um, I was very bad at marketing. When I was in charge of marketing for the world, we only had 300, 300 Instagram followers. And then Pete took over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, writing an album is very, very hard. Um, but I would like to have more than one good album, you know. Mm. Well, uh, I, th- yeah, I think we've learned a lot about uh, this last album in particular. It took us a bloody long time to write the whole thing. Uh, and so we're yeah pretty excited about some of the new stuff we've started writing. Um, yeah, and to you know, there's something magical about creating new music, uh, and we think like the next one is going to be even better than Don't Forget to Howl. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And you know, before we get into the last couple of questions, then something I'm always intrigued by is the post gig post tour blues you know say you play a massive show on a friday night you wake up saturday morning it's back to reality how do you deal with it i i have three daughters so i try and stay far as far away from them as possible because i'm not quite a quite a big hangover um <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is quite tough eh? it's an interesting question that because like i do i do actually suffer a little bit from that because like it's so different. Like, uh, like I, I've, I have a very desk job, a uh, very number crunching job, Excel spreadsheets and whatnot. Uh, and it's quite stressful. And then you have a gig on a Saturday or Sunday where you just like trying to blow, like knock the cover off the ball kind of thing. Um, you know, you're trying to have the best time of your life kind of thing. And then, and then, yeah, it, it is very difficult. I won't lie. It's, um, I, I suppose that's, 
just try and write another good song, I suppose. Eh? For me, it's kind of like a balance. It's like workers, the band can be like one extreme and, the, and like our day jobs are another extreme. And if you just did the day job the whole time, I think I'd go mad. And if I just did the gigs all the time, I think I'd also go mad. But so you've got to have like, for me, it's kind of, it's a, the balance is actually quite important. Ah, like a yin yang. Hmm. It's oh, interesting. And Rice, your future plans, what's coming next? Lay it all out first. Well, um, we're going to be um, releasing some more stuff, more songs um, over the next three, four months. Got four more, eh? Four more. Um, and also we've got uh, one music video that's just about to be finished for Reincarnation, which was the previous single. Uh, unfortunately, it's bloody hard to align the release of the singles and the music videos. Don't ask me why, because the we, singles are already recorded. So it's just the music we, videos. We actually. are taking a very unorthodox approach to our release strategy, as <laughs> so you might have noticed. <laughs> um, we released like a single, and then we released the music video, and then another single, and then another music video. We can go into those while we're doing that. There's like, there's like, there is some method behind the madness. Uh, but like, if you go onto YouTube, you can see there's a video for each of the songs. We try to release one video, uh, one video for each song. Um, and it's you know, it's music videos are quite hard to do if you're operating on a shoestring budget. Um, so that's part of I think that's part of the timing challenge around it to coordinate mm. that. But yeah. Um, so it's uh, so those are the you know the next few releases are pretty much planned. We've got some big festivals coming up later in the year. That we've been booked for um and we're very optimistic around for next year yeah we're gonna basically gonna have a new album we're gonna be in the studio next year this time or not this time but earlier than this time beginning of the year recording uh and then you know who knows hopefully we get a we get, hopefully you manage to recommend the west coast wolves to all your contacts <laughs> and next thing you know we're in europe for the summer <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed fingers crossed now you know you're going to have to dive into the method behind your madness with that after releasing or after mentioning it yeah so like normally you have an album and we old now um and normally you'd have an album and then you'd make the cds and then you'd try and have a gig and, and you'd sell a couple of cds and try and get distribution which is almost impossible and then we hadn't done that in quite a long time and we had to reevaluate like how the world works these days with Spotify and Instagram and Facebook and all these different platforms that you have to be on. And then Pete came up with this idea and he was, he does a lot of research um, in his spare time and uh don't know how he does it actually. And, uh, <laughs> and he came up with like, you know, we were always going to do it like maybe one or two or three singles. And then he said, no, well, let's just release like almost all the songs as singles because you know, if you drop one album as an extreme scenario, like you get a couple of Instagrams and you get a couple of Spotify's and then, then, then like the, the, the curves off. Yeah. It curves off, you know, whereas unfortunately if you drop a song, well, it's a decent song. It almost has the same impact as dropping an album. Um, so, I mean, this is what we've now realized that all the, you know, all the big artists are doing. They they release them song by song by song and then they release the album because you can generate the con like content around everything and then you know it, it helps with almost like uh almost like muscle memory for your fans. Um so in one way it's quite irritating um for some for some people because they're used to having the whole album and they're sitting in the car and listening to the whole album. But in other ways it's um it's it's just helping us engage with our our audience better uh, over a longer period of time quite frankly so they don't forget about us um yeah. and we, we've yeah. also learned a lot because uh, most of the stuff we're doing by ourselves so we've learned a lot about you know how to how to get the most traction from releasing a song uh and a video you know if you release a whole album you only have you're only learning once so then you have to write a new album That's and really like point, yeah. 18 months later you can release another album which is like by that time your fans have mostly forgotten who you are um so and, the, and then the other thing for any other bands out there that are listening but the other thing that's really important is that you know with each with each re release you have a chance to get on spotify's editorial playlist uh and as you're growing you know we've got a better and better chance to get a better and better playlist with each release whereas with one if you drop the whole album at once you kind of only have one shot at it um so that's yeah i think there's a lot of good reasons to stagger the release yeah it's interesting because all these platforms work in different ways and we didn't know that like spotify has got some different some at some point they they're punting some algorithm and you know some other guys 
platform is punching some different algorithm. I mean, it's a full, I mean, I don't know. We've got we've got one friend that's kind of helping us out on this. And Jenny. Um, yeah, Jenny. Um, thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, and she knows like the ins and outs of these things. And um, and I'm sure the massive artists know these things. They must have people, teams of people working on, you know, they get somebody's gonna like, you know, directly drive Stayla, Stayla Swift. Taylor Swift's album like straight into the mouth of the Spotify album and somebody else is driving it straight into the mouth of the Apple iTunes album algorithm, whatever. And, you know, so we're trying to get on top of a bit of that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, long, long, long answer to the story thing. But yeah, as Pete says, like each time you release something, then you learn something and and you can take this to the next release. You can see we've got the Excel spreadsheets, eh? <laughs> so, <you can laughs> yeah. so, uh, We'll dive into the last couple of questions then, guys. There are a couple of fun ones. I'm intrigued to hear what you'll uh, what you'll say about them. So if you could see any musician from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? I've always wanted to see Tool. And I know that's not history because I could actually see them if I flew to America, but I don't have any money right now for that. But like, they're, I think they're just, I'd love to see them. Like... And they might not ever play again. I don't even, I think they might, might, they might not even do another tour. So that might be history. So, yeah. yeah that's a good one. And the other one was Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. But my dad and I flew to France a couple of years ago to go watch them. And it was, it was amazing. Oh, man. It was well worth it, yeah. So that was my two. Uh, yeah, two would be my, my number one. Mm, I'd like to go back, like, uh, this is a strange answer, but I'd like to go back, like, in time, like to watch like a full classical orchestra, like Beethoven kind of style, just to check it out. Really? Like, yeah, just because I like you know that guy is like one of the most famous musicians in, in ever in history. So yeah, that would be. Uh, I'm not into the genre of that much, although my dad loved classical music. That was one of the few things I have in common with my dad. But um, but yeah, something like that would be amazing. I think. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. That's really <laughs> like thinking outside the box. <laughs> We're a multi-genre band. There yeah. we go. There we go. <laughs> we've got a fiddle, viol- we've got a fiddle violinist player with our with our band at the moment, which is for our, for our writing of our new music. Carly, yeah, yeah. Hi, Carly. Hi, Carly. Right, right. The next one. So this is a bit weird. If you had to spend twenty four hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be? <laughs> locked in a room with somebody for twenty four hours, like. Wow, hectic. Mm. Does Stanley Druckenmiller play any guitars and play any musical instruments? <laughs> uh, mm, I, I, for me, it would be a toss-up between uh, Freddie Mercury, Kirk Cobain, oh, and um, um, what's the famous guitarist? Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> That's been an interesting say. night. <laughs> Taylor Swift, Katy Perry. Uh, <laughs> I like where you're going. <laughs> I love you guys that as well. Yeah. Britney Spears. Uh, no, 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 no. Maybe. Um, uh, I don't even remember her name. Christina Aguilera. <laughs> no, 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 no. Seriously, I think Tom Petty would be cool. Like the mm. was, uh, oh, and Mark Knopfler. Uh, yeah. Two very good ones. Be a good but, night. Uh, that was in descending order. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And the uh, the final one. So, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your lives? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, uh, quite hard to pick one song. Uh, some people, maybe you can do it, Gavin. Yeah, and I'm like. I've always loved the song from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young called, as I mentioned earlier, Helplessly Hoping, or Carry On from Help from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I just, it's the most wonderful song, Carry On. It's just like a goes through a couple of different genres, and it's yeah, it's a cool song. Has to be that one. Harmonies, harmonies are great, and words are great. Hmm. I I could pick like a like maybe a song from each genre, but to pick one like across all the genres is very difficult. Um, but one song that I really love, really rock and roll song that I love, is that one ACDC song, um, "Shook Me All Night Long." Can't go wrong with that song. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, guys, thanks a million. I've really enjoyed chatting with you now. 
Yeah, thanks very much, Brian. Thanks for reaching out. Uh... enjoyed this episode if you did please rate and review us on itunes and spotify and if you're interested in signing up the band builder academy use the link in the show notes below and enter the code concerts and you'll receive 10 percent off so until next time keep rocking hey hey what are you guys still doing there the show is over It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.